Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast that explores the intersection of faith and culture. Hi, I'm Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, Elizabeth Woodson. Elizabeth, how are you today? Fabulous, happy, content. Keep going. Enjoying my time with my friends here on Culture Matters. Oh, yeah. Adam, how are you today? Five ways. Five (laughs) ways of being okay by Adam Hawkins. That's my new (laughs) book. That's funny. Five Shades of Okay, is that what it's called? (laughs) Well, today's episode, we're going to talk about cancel culture. This is a a show, a podcast, that gets to talk about what is happening in culture, which there are a lot of interesting things happening. But this is one of those newer things that uh, kind of reveals the human heart, and I'm looking forward to getting into it with y'all. So here we go. All right, we're talking today about cancel culture. Elizabeth, can you start us off by defining that a little bit? For those who don't know, what does it mean? What is cancel culture? Cancel culture is a group think on steroids um, and describes a form of boycott in which someone, sometimes it's a celebrity, sometimes it's someone, it's usually someone in power, has Mm. made a wrong move, said something inappropriate, or just had some type of fall. We think about that in Christian culture, someone falls um, from their leadership position. Um, And so what you will see is that that gets called out on social media in a really strong and offensive way. And really no grace is extended to people. And we kind of just cancel them. We say, hey, we're done with you. There's no grace or second chance for you. And then they're off to the next thing because it's social media. And the next big thing on social media takes our attention. But it really is this really large group response to someone's behavior um, in which we just don't extend them grace, and then are on to the next thing. Okay. No. Is there any person that you think of would be a good a, like cultural example of this from either of you? Like who who has been canceled by our culture? I mean, I think some. I think of when, um, for instance, Kevin Hart. I think it was recently, a couple months ago, where someone found tweets that he had tweeted long, years ago, long time ago. Yep. And what award show was it? I think it was Oscars. It was the, the Oscars. Oscars. Yeah. So he was, was supposed to, to host. host. And then they said, you can't host the Oscars because of something that he had done years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, were his comments inappropriate? Of course. Yeah. Um, but he has become a different person in those years. Apologize. Did he apologize for it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Apologize for it. But people still, he still didn't, wasn't able to take part in that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think they re-offered it to him and he refused it after yeah. the fact. And he, he was just like uh, not having it. But yeah. And now he, he's got a successful career, though. Yeah, I think yeah. he's kind of one that's uh, was able to uh, make it through that storm mm-hmm. and keep going. But what we're talking about a lot in cancel culture is when there's no grace received. And I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of Christian examples yeah. of people I can think of where on the outside looking in, people just have very strong opinions about what somebody should have done or what should happen next to them, or even vitriolic, uh, kind of uh, malicious, this is what should happen to that person by means of dehumanizing them, saying, uh, this is uh, not a person like me, this is a villain. Uh, Adam, can you think of this in the Christian world? Where do we see that kind of stuff happening? It's interesting, because this kind of seems to me to be sort of a social media phenomenon, too. Like, I don't know that it could happen to the degree it does without social media. Um, It's hard to think, I I don't, off the top of my head, I can't think of a Christian example. Um, But, uh, 
I do think about like I I know Kevin Hart was an example, but there's also I think it's about a t- there's a lot of social media personalities who this happens to. I mean, yeah. like I I do think to a degree. Um, oh, who who came out? And I'm not saying it's always. Somebody came out recently. It was a female Christian writer who all of a sudden sort of doubt, said Changed something about on homosexuality, on homosexuality yep. and it was like, boom, you're done, you know? Yep. And um, look, I'm not saying that we can't have disagreements about doctrine or even really strong ones that maybe you say, look, it might not be the best idea to read and spend your time, you know, studying under this person or something like that. But I think the way the the way that people now share their lives and share their unbaked opinions and share all those things on social media uh, or our podcasts um, can really <laughs> lend itself very quickly to to um, you know vitriolic attack. I, yep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's that's the kind of the irony of it. The person you're talking about is Jen Hatmaker. That's right. Jen Hatmaker, and that was a year or yeah. two ago where she kind of came out and not kind of, she came out and said, hey, my views on homosexuality is I believe the Bible does say that homosexuality is an accepted practice. And therefore, those uh, kind of conservative Christian fan base that she had uh, turned on her, stopped following her. And so, and there is something to be said for like orthodoxy sure. and saying, I want to follow somebody that agrees with me. And that's, that's okay. But I think of that example, I think of Gunger, if you remember the the band Gunger, who never really called themselves a Christian band, but they had all these Christian themes and it was uh, Christian albums they would release. And then when it came out, their views on evolution and creation were not in line with Orthodox Christianity. There was a lot of like, well, you're not uh, literally cancellations. You're not going to play at this Christian conference. Then you're not going to play at this Christian concert series. You're you're disinvited to a lot of things that we had invited. It you happened to. to Keller. He was supposed to speak at a really big um, Presbyterian. I'm pretty sure it was a Presbyterian school. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a college, and it was not part of his. Which is I. I Forgive me, I don't know PCA denominational politics well, Mm -hmm. but I think it was PCUSA, which is the more mainline church. And there was a professor there who he obviously, Keller, holds traditional views about who can be an elder pastor, which which excludes women from that position. And so there were a bunch of egalitarians who basically came together and excluded him. So said, oh, you hold this position, you're a monster, you should never be allowed to speak anywhere, especially not our school. And so they got him disinvited from... Basically, what was that wasn't the nature of his talk. It was something else, and mm-hmm. it was really rather innocuous. But he's disinvited then from speaking. So it happens everywhere yeah, all guys. the time. It seems yeah. like these. And I can days. think of there was yeah. another example. Louis Giglio got invited to be That's part right. of an inauguration. That's mm-hmm. right. And then there was an LGBTQ group that said, "Hey, we heard him in this sermon several years ago preach on a text that has traditionally been used as an anti-homosexual text, and therefore we don't think he should be in a uh, position to." Uh, be at any large-scale government event, and so they canceled him. And he graciously resigned and said, yeah, I don't need to be... Yeah. If everybody's going to be up in arms, I'm not going to go. But you do see cancellations literally canceled. You're not coming anymore based on what you said. And we'll see this sometimes with uh, a lot... Honestly, I see this a lot in Christian culture. I've, there's been... Uh, I can remember when Show Baraka released an album, and one of his songs, yeah. he says the word penis. Yep. And Lifeway so Lifeway took it. took it off the shelves and said, no, we're not going to sell that album. We don't believe it kind of aligns up with what we would promote. And when he says the word penis in there, it was in the sense of, of talking about uh, 
uh, it was not unorthodox. It was not a uh, mockery. It was not, it was talking about lust, I believe. And it was talking about fighting against that, like not thinking with my penis. And so the fact that he said that, they were like, no, we just that word was enough to say, you're not coming. We're, we're canceling you for this. And you can think of a lot of examples of that where somebody, and this does not necessarily have to be celebrities like we've mentioned, because of a departure in belief or because of an experience in their life, they can be removed, which can both be good and right to say, we've revealed something about this person that we were not aware of, and so they have they are no longer going to be a part of this. Or it can be over the top and less than gracious and say, because of this difference between us or because of our fear of bad press, we are no longer going to invite you to X, Y, or Z. Where have we seen this gone uh, well? Where are there people in our culture? And we don't have to give personal examples, but where would a cancel culture be a good idea? Where is there somebody that should be, in what circumstances should somebody say, we're not going to have that person speak at conferences anymore, or we're not going to have that person leading a seminary or a church anymore? When I think about a recent one, again, for a lot of folks, this happens online and just some comments. I feel like we might decide to cut this afterward. (laughs) (laughs) But when people um, are able to come together to say certain comments are not appropriate in a good way. And so you have that dynamic between Beth Moore and John MacArthur Mm -hmm. and just really just strong response and, and a hard conversation between John MacArthur and Beth Moore. And you see just a lot of support coming from Beth from the community. And so I think in a way of the community being able to speak out against something that was insensitive and shouldn't have been spoken um, and for support um, for Beth and the ministry she's doing and just women in ministry, period. And so I think there are times when the community can come together and in some sense provide a good sense of accountability, um, but it can also... It also has a dark side to it. I think when it can be good is probably when it's not cancel culture. Here's what I mean by that. I think it's good for a community together to sort of um, make decisions when they're more of an authentic community. So let me give you an example. If you're part of a church and your pastor does something to disqualify himself, it's not cancel culture to hold them to the, uh, uh, I don't know, the the standards standards that the Bible would call them to, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, they might be removed from their position, and some people may say, oh, that's like a cancel culture type moment. I don't think it necessarily describes that. That can be gracious. That can can be be a super gracious thing. I, I, and so to Elizabeth's point, I think there are probably times though in more in, in a in a different type of setting where a community can come around. But I almost think it's always probably bad in when it happens on social media. I almost think it's always probably not a great thing um, for a community of people who are dislocated from one another and who don't have strong ties, and it's not really auth- what I would call an authentic community. Uh, to start to police other people when they're so distant from it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, I just think it starts to get a little... Um, yeah, I think it starts to get a little dangerous, probably. When you don't have firsthand knowledge, when everything's from afar, when it's based on one piece of writing or something from years ago, or, you know, I, I just think it gets difficult. Have you all ever participated in it or been a, like a part of cancel culture? Like, have you guys ever felt like you've been canceled from something or that you're like, I'm, I'm done with that guy? I mean, I've been, I've experienced it. Um, and been close to it. And I think just a situation that was hard um, that I was involved in and just to see people who weren't there 
just because it's like this drag. You know, I think there's this element of with us as Christians, there's this joining of grace and accountability. And so there are standards that we ought to live by. And we as a people of God need to hold each other accountable for that. But accountability also has grace attached to it. And mm-hmm. so I think I always remember, it was I think it's 2 Samuel 24, and David takes the census and God gives him an option. And God's like, you shouldn't have done that. You can read it to get the context. But God gives him an option of three consequences he can have. And one of them is a consequence that comes from God himself. Another one is one that comes from his own people. And he choose, and the third one was something else. He says, I want you, God, to discipline me because my people have no grace. Mm. And it's really stuck with me of like how we will just say things and ask for things of people that we wouldn't want that same thing to be required of us. And just being removed from someone, you just take the element of grace out of there completely. Like we're human. We make mistakes. We need to be held accountable for those. But as Christians, grace is always attached to that. And I've just seen in my particular situation, ways in which grace was just not even in the room or even in like the state from wherever <laughs> you were tweeting. Um, and it just made me disappointed because you expect more from the community of faith. Yeah, I, I think for Christians, one thing that we need to do and we need to decide is how are we going to do conflict in a hyper-offense culture mm-hmm. where basically everything seems to be defined by how offended you can be by the actions of another person? And I really do think that, and it's I, I don't think it's, I think it's incongruous or incongruent, excuse me, with social media culture. But I, I was reading an article that talked about at least in the beginning of conflict, the first thing you do is you ask questions, you don't make accusations. And it seems to me like all that happens now is accusations are thrown around. So an example would be like if you're a Christian and you've been offended or hurt by somebody, um, actually what you're supposed to do is believe the best about them. Yep. And the first thing you do is you go and you and you can ask very direct questions, which demand direct responses. But you can say something like, hey, when this happened, it hurt can you help me understand, right? You ask a question, can you help me understand or give me the angle from which you're coming at this topic of, you know, uh, instead of coming in and saying, you are this, you did this, you're a liar, you're a this thing. It's like, and I don't, I guess it's, I don't understand it, but that's the way I see most conflict play out now is yeah. people coming in and hurling accusations rather than asking questions. Mm-hmm. And um, it's hurtful. Yeah. Well, I think there's got to be wisdom to this too. I've, I've also heard people on the other side say, why are we being, when somebody will excuse not saying something because they're saying, uh, I want to wait till all the facts are collected. Sure. And so they won't say something and their silence in that moment says something. And that'll happen when there's been injustice. That'll happen when there's been disqualifying sin and people say, well, I just, I wasn't there. And sometimes it does take a certain boldness to stand up against things that are wrong and say, I don't know all the facts, but I do know if this is the case, then this is heartbreaking. And uh, at the same time, I want to be a people marked by grace, people that say, hey, even in the midst of sin, there is a, a great opportunity for redemption, for apology, for repentance, Or if there's misunderstanding, which I think is kind of the frustrating part of this, is like if we don't understand each other and that leads to a cancellation, golly, man, can't we just talk to each other? Can't we just get on the same page? Can't we listen for a minute to each other without just being done? Or like you said, uh, walking to a rage culture that says, oh, we disagree, I'm done with you. You're You're just less than to me. I don't want a piece of it.
Adam, I want to go back to something you were just talking about because I think it's really important. And you said it's important for us to stand up to injustice and not to remain silent. And I think where it gets, because I agree with you, but I think where it gets sticky is that not everything is an injustice. And we live in a culture that wants to demand that everything is, right? I watched a guy talk about he came from a Eastern Bloc country that lived under a dictator. And he said that we throw around the, fa- or the phrase to easily uh, around, and he's no fan of Trump. And he said, we throw around the phrase of dictator too easily, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how like certain politicians have stood up and said that Trump is a dictator and Trump is a this and Trump is a that. And he's, he's, his point was, Hey, I actually lived under a dictator. I'm not a fan of this guy. You don't live in a dictatorship. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the same thing's true. Like, look, um, if somebody disagrees with you on a policy issue, that doesn't mean that an injustice has, has occurred, you know? Uh, it doesn't mean they're a bigot. It doesn't mean that they're a this or a that. Or and I think that's where where um, what we have to get better of doing is actually defining when injustices occur. Uh, and maybe maybe that's not it, right? Maybe it's not defining the injustice. What we have to do better is maybe not leaping to the conclusion that everything's an injustice, right? If somebody hasn't lost their life, uh, if somebody hasn't. Um, um, you know, if if something really serious hasn't happened, and I think it's serious to have policy differences, but if every time somebody, maybe that's a better way of putting it, maybe we should be very careful whenever there's a disagreement to not jump to rage and offense. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, but I think what happens, what drives it right now is you have a click-driven journalistic yes. culture yeah. that wants to dig into people's past or find something contentious in order to create a story or get a story. And at the same time, we have a lot of cultural sensibilities. And so, and for good reason in some places, there should be sensibilities, words we don't say to each other or about each other. And so when somebody uh, crosses one of those boundaries, it's what is our response. And sometimes boycotting an influencer is the right, good response. And sometimes it's jumping to a conclusion about a person that maybe is not even opinion they hold anymore, or maybe not one they hold strongly or... Or maybe just one you don't understand. So to then treat them like garbage or to say something to, or to block them or to think something, I, I, the kind of weird courage that comes from being behind a computer screen to insult someone because they disagree with you is part of what makes this culture really kind of an ugly state right now. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think we make character assessments of people instead of addressing the behavior. Yeah. So you versus you lied. This mm-hmm. is not true to you're a liar. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really simple that's example. Good. But I think we just say some really untrue things about people's character without, especially as Christians, taking the first view that this person is made in the image of God. And so what I say about them needs to give honor and respect, even if I'm trying to hold them accountable for behavior that does not live in alignment with who I believe we should be as humans in this world based upon the story of scripture. And it is, it's just these character assassinations that we feel a superpower, like you said, Adam, behind our screens, because you would never say that to someone's Mm -hmm. face because they probably would kick you in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been asked many times by people in a similar conversation about restoring somebody and about at what point do you, if somebody really has messed up, when can they be restored? And I've been asked this in particular about ministers and pastors who have done something disqualifying. And, you know, sometimes people are very confused when those things happen. I'll have, as people have asked me, do I need to erase the notes in my Bible that came from this man that it turned out he was having an affair the whole time mm. he was telling me these things? And, 
And uh, the, I love, there's this quote from Charles Spurgeon, and he talks about uh, people who have disqualified themselves from leadership positions, not from following Christ, not from being in a church, not from hearing the gospel. And that's the truth is like when somebody is removed from a pastoral position, it does not mean we're kicking them out of the kingdom of God. We're saying you've disqualified yourself from this position. But in the question of restoration, Charles Spurgeon has said, and I think he was quoting actually somebody else, but he said, until your repentance is as notorious as your sin, mm-hmm. you are not ready to be back in ministry. So if your sin's notoriety is still outpacing the notoriety of your humility before the Lord, your repentance before the Lord, your desire to change, then you're not ready to be back in the ministry. It's not, hey, I messed up, please forgive me, can I come back to work on Monday? And similar when it comes to cancel culture and social media right now, if we're digging up somebody's opinions that they used to believe and don't even hold anymore, why would we hold it against them? If instead we could say, look at this person who has changed, who has grown. And in the right circumstances, our culture loves that. Because as long as you're changing towards the more secular, humanist, atheistic culture, then people applaud you and say, yes, finally you've woken up to it. But if there's anything in it that has not changed to the cultural narrative that they love, then it's very easy to say, nope, that is not, I'm not comfortable with that, and therefore I'm turning you off. You are not, you are not allowed to speak into my life anymore. And we'll do that with whole channels, whole programs, mm-hmm. whole people, bands, groups of people, and people groups. Adam, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, it just seems like in the one hand you were talking about, I really am more and more um, aware of my own limitedness and how important it is to realize that God made me a person who can only exist in a specific place at a specific time with very specific people. And what the, what social media tries to do is try to, it it tries to convince you that you're not limited in a sense, Mm -hmm. that my opinions really matter you know, to the Twitterverse. You mm-hmm. brought up a minute ago a, a lady who went on like Best of Next Door and was like, I can you guys show me how to tweet this? Because I want the whole world to know about <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah. And I just don't know that like the thing you're talking about with Spurgeon, right? It's like, um, I think it was you were saying it was Spurgeon who mm-hmm. said, hey, if if a person's sin is still outpacing their humility and their character, it's like, man, I don't know that social media is a good judge or jury no. for any of that. No. I don't know that any of us are in a place to go, hey, there's a guy who's, you know, a thousand miles away who I've got a soundbite of something they said, okay, I'm in a really good position to know whether their sin's outpacing. I don't know any of that, you you know? And so I just, I think that's the biggest part of cancel culture that's frustrating is is that whole aspect. It's that whole, it takes the human element out of everything. It's just a bunch of people shouting into the wind, ruining each other's lives on things they know nothing about. That's what it really feels like, you know? And so how can restoration even occur? Like, you know, it's if, if, if the, if the offense is as amorphous and adam and you know it's like a soundbite and all that then the restoration can only be skin deep as well if that makes sense right sure. if you're canceling somebody over something you know nothing about then you also can't really restore them over something you know nothing so, about so i think it brings up two interesting topics is like it, it, can we give the benefit of the doubt that if something's going to happen it needs to happen person to person in a lot of circumstances and say social media is not the right avenue to have it 
That's going to be true. But also what's going to be true is we have to pastor and minister to people, shepherd them and how to handle their digital lives yeah. in a way that is gracious and in a yeah. way that handles disagreement without becoming vitriolic. Yeah. I uh, recently posted something about abortion on my Facebook page. And while it was deleted shortly after, there's a girl that I've known for a long time that her response was uh, calling me heartless and demanding that uh, I understand that as a man, I have no right to say anything like this. And at the same time, I felt like my post was incredibly gracious in saying, like, I understand people disagree with me. Let me explain where I'm coming from. But there's so much emotion involved in there. I also understand where she's coming from. There was no temptation in me to respond to her in anger, but rather to understand what she's expressing is hurt and wound and difference. And what I want to elicit in myself is compassion, for mm-hmm. people who are different, compassion for those who think differently. And yes, not that I'm going to just uh, sympathize with their points and say, I guess I just agree with you, but rather how do we as a people who exist now in an also a digital world graciously respond to those who disagree with us in a way that does not hurt the witness of the church? If we're going to be the light of the world, then shouldn't Christians interact with social media in a different way? Not, not at all. And not uh, the loudest voice for um, uh, ungracious responses, but shouldn't we be the ones that say, hey, I don't understand every detail, but if it's this, yeah, and if it's that, hey, let's, let's be gracious, let's be forgiving, and let's listen. And the proverb says, the first one to tell his case seems right until you hear the whole story. And that may always be the case in things on social media, that you're getting a glimpse of somebody that may even be self-promotional. Maybe they want you to think a certain thing about them. But how do we graciously respond to that, understanding that they, Adam, like you, are a person in a time and place with a real human value? Mm. And at the same time, I know, and Elizabeth, I'm sorry for you in this, it can be really, it can be very hurtful to be in a position to feel like I'm the one that's been misunderstood. Mm. And how do we pastor our people who feel like because of something they've thought or said, or because the world doesn't see the same, see things the same way they do? They have endured the pain of thinking the world has turned against me for something that I strongly and convictionally believe or something I did they do not understand. And how do we, like in all circumstances, a pastor come alongside that person and say, man, I'm sorry, I'm sure that hurts. I'm sorry, I'm sure that was awful. And the Lord is good and gracious both to forgive those who do not understand what they are doing, but also to heal the heart of the person who's been wounded by other people's opinions. And uh, I hope that I can grow in that as well, but grow in that as a pastor and as a person, to have gracious responses and to be gentle and caring for those who've been wounded by them. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. Today's episode was recorded and mixed by Chris Starrett and produced by David Roark. If you liked what you heard, please give us a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram and support us at our patron page, patron.podbean.com slash culture matters. Thanks and God bless.